0: You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Welcome back, guys. Wow, I am blown away at this upcoming episode. I'm speaking with Jill Raff of the Jill Raff Group. Now, Jill bills herself as a customer experience strategist. So, you know that this episode is all about exemplary customer service, where it begins the foundation of your business empowering your staff and how this can be your biggest and greatest competitive advantage in your restaurant. Jill is so inspiring she graduated from Le Cordon Bleu in Paris she went on to work in the pastry kitchen as a stager in famous Harrods department store in London she worked in Italy in a Michelin starred restaurant she's even appeared on the Today Show and now she's transformed all of her experiences that really began in her family's McDonald's franchises at a very impressive young age where she learned from her father and her family as well as Ray Kroc himself and how she's transformed all of this experience and passion, the passion clearly comes out in this episode, into, again, the foundation of your business, the customer being all-important and how to provide what we both call paramount service and the true meaning of hospitality. So don't miss this episode. Listen on. I'm pleased to bring it to you. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and these are engaging topics that help restaurants build their brands, rock their profits, and deliver amazing guest service experiences. And that is certainly what today's episode is all about. I am pleased and honored to have Ms. Jill Raff of the Jill Raff Group with me today. And we first met Jill. Uh, Welcome to the show, first of all. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. When I heard you first speak, and I think you're about to say where we met, yes, um, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this guy is speaking my language." I am so in alignment. So thank yeah, you.
0: Yeah, I, I totally get that because we've had a few conversations and quite a few emails since, and and that just continues to solidify in our minds about you know what this business is all about. And I was, yeah, I was about to say that we sort of first met uh, maybe two weeks ago, uh, two and a half weeks ago when we put together uh, an informational roundtable panelist group of 20 leading experts in the industry really designed to help operators through this COVID crisis. And we covered so many different topics, service certainly being one of them. And Jill, you were particularly active in in the chat function. You had lots of questions. You were interacting with the the panelists. And uh, that's kind of how we first met. So it was just a natural to have you on the show.
1: Well, thank you. That interaction is what I'm all about.
0: (laughs) Well, good. All right. So you have a tagline and a book, and it's literally transforming transactions into interactions. So before we get into your backstory, because I'm dying to hear about that, can you please explain what that tagline means and what the significance is to both have a book and use that as a tagline, you know, with the Jill Raff group?
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, It really is at the core value. And so that's why it is our tagline. And so if we think about what a transaction is, by definition, a transaction is an exchange of money for goods and services. And that's it. There's no human involvement. There's no emotional involvement. It's just a cold transaction. Um, And an interaction, however, is where you have an exchange. You actually interact with another human being. And so I think for businesses to thrive, especially in hospitality, because that is what we're about, is that people need, businesses through their people, need to transform the transactions, the business, which obviously they're in business, so they're there to sell goods or services, correct? So, But they need to transform what that transaction is, you know, physically and and technically, and transform it into an interaction. So they really create that relationship with their customers.
0: And it really brings the human element together because everyone needs goods and services, of course, but it's not about necessarily commodity transactions. It's really about engagement with the customer, building relationships, and what I like to call affinity. You know, I'm sure you understand that Building affinity with your customers is so important because, of course, we're, you know, we don't have an endless line of new customers outside the door of any business. It's really about the service and the product and the quality and the interactions of your entire staff, not just the owner, the manager, in the business that literally leads to what I call affinity And that's kind of a powerful sense of loyalty or belonging to a certain business where you're going to continue to patronize them and be a repeat customer and then take it a step further, be what I like to call a brand evangelist for that business. And there's so much power in that, wouldn't you say? In in training your staff to put their best foot forward and to train your customers to become marketers for your business. How powerful is that? It's huge.
1: And and you really just summed up... um, and I didn't know it's funny. Yeah. You summed up what it's about. And for me, I it, because it's so intuitive, it's so innate, like truly customer experience is a part of my DNA. And, and so for me, like all of that, I, I captured all like that. But if you stop and break it down, to have that experience happen, there are so many small details that have to happen before. And they start with, for me, in my process, I have a process called um, the inside out framework, EX to CX. So from employee experience to customer experience. And it starts with the core values. And then it goes into how you apply those throughout every other stage in the process. And so, you know, what you just said is so 100% right. And I think the key is whether companies identify what that means. Do they hire according to those core values? Do they not only just train, which is like, often the onboarding is a quick process. It's functional training. It's intense. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. don't educate. So what I, I like to say that they need to educate their people, not just train them as to what they want from them, what the expectation is, how they want them to interact with their, with their guests, with each other. There there's so many details that go into that, but you just really summed up the perfect example of what it should be. But the key is how do we get to that point? Right.
0: Well, the staff are such a foundational element of the business. You can't run without your staff. The impressions that we are leaving every single day, and we're talking about hundreds of impressions, depending on how many customers we're serving in any business every single day. So this is such a foundational element. And yes, the training is is part of it. But wouldn't you agree that it also begins with leading by example and you know, not being a figurehead per se, but also not being too important to notice something and to take care of it and to demonstrate to your staff, you know, I'm not too important to wash a window or pick up a piece of trash in the parking lot. And in so doing, it's like, I'm one of you. It's like, yes, I'm your boss and I'm your leader and I don't have to be your friend and we don't have to agree on everything, but it just sort of sets the tone for an organization because you know, too many businesses unfortunately have managers that don't or have never really developed an effective leadership style where they're they're respected they might be feared people might be in fear of their jobs and they're hiding around the corner because i don't want the boss to see me do this and that is not the way to build an organization
1: 100 you know? percent. and actually i'm really glad you you said that because recently i've been reaching out through facebook connecting with people who worked for my dad Um, unfortunately, my dad died pretty, very prematurely. He was 65. Mm -hmm. And um, it's amazing the legacy he has left, both through me, and I really feel like this work for me is continuing that, but through the people that he touched through his business. And a perfect example of that, of exactly what you just described, is a memory that will forever be it, in my brain and, and in my body that really guides me through the work that I do and through the training that I do in my own personal interaction. And that is that uh, – <laughs> so, Roger, when – I grew up in Columbus, Georgia. It's a pretty small town. But whenever we would go um, out to eat or whatever, we'd pass by one of our stores. And if my dad saw you know, a piece of trash on the lot, a light that was out, maybe too many customers in line that he thought you know, wasn't being taken care of quick enough – he would pull into the lot and he'd say oh, I'll be right back right well my my mom and sisters and I 20 30 minutes later are still yeah. sitting there in the car so i would go in to see where he was and inevitably i'd see him there with his you know his sleeves rolled up he'd be either on the grill and dressing the buns or Working the fry station or at the front so he could get the customers served quickly and out the door. And of course, it was always with a smile. Absolutely.
0: So
1: I saw him there engaging with his people and his people felt that and they saw that. And even today with the people I speak with that I've been interviewing, um, they all tell me these wonderful stories of their impression and their memories of my dad in that way
0: that was a wonderful um, share that you you just brought to our attention. And it all stems from, you know, arguably the leading franchise in the world, that being McDonald's. And and you had quite an education at a young age in your family's McDonald's um, stores. So before we go there, and I certainly want to, was that your first introduction to what I would call hospitality? Did you work in a restaurant before your family had the McDonald's stores? Or, you know, how did you first get involved in the restaurant or hospitality business
1: Uh, it truly was um, my first experience in fact my first job was at the age of seven when i now looking back i realized that i was being trained on what Today, we would call customer first impression. We, you talked before about impressions. Mm-hmm. First impression in those days, you know, was answering the phone. And so I was seven years old and I was too little to do anything else. My sisters were working on the milkshake machines, the the multi-mixers that actually, that Ray the McDonald's Brothers. So yes, yes. that was kind of the next step up. But so I, you know, was trained mm-hmm. on how to respond, how to interact. And we think, well, that was then, right? It was a long time ago. But I was thinking about that, Roger, and you know what? Today, I know I've used the phone to call restaurants so much more often because of what's going on with this pandemic, and if I can't get through online, I can't order online, and so that first impression when someone answers the phone still impacts, and I can't get that out of my mind because, you know, I think what what was is still today as well. So that was really my first experience. And then um, other hospitality experiences came as a result of that, I think, because it was something that really came from my heart.
0: That's amazing. I mean, that's that's what it's all about. I mean, I, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about hospitality, but I also want to talk about how amazing this industry is in that one it's one of the hugest suppliers uh, i'm sorry employers in the world but beyond that how someone can start out with you know with little education and just a drive and, and just you know get a first job in a restaurant such as you're describing and get promoted and work in multiple stores and get this broad education and management and life skills and all this sort of thing without needing a major formal education, and then they can go on to start a restaurant, two restaurants, ten restaurants, and build an empire... And it's amazing, and I've actually seen it happen. I want to share a quick story with you that I will never forget. So, you know, 25 years ago, I started my first restaurant, and I had no experience in the business. I was a bartender in college, but you couldn't call me a manager, or, you know, I'd never owned or managed a restaurant before. I got this crazy idea. I think I want to get in the restaurant business. I see an opportunity. I started my first place. Well, anyway, my very first employee was a 15 year old dishwasher, Jill. And I could just tell from the beginning, there was something special about this kid. He wanted to learn everything he possibly could. So he was like right in the trenches with my partner and I, as we were starting this business from scratch, and he was learning, and he was observing, and he was, within three weeks, he was closing the restaurant for us several nights a week, sending the credit card batch, locking the doors, setting the alarm at a 15-year-old age, you know? And as the years went on, he stayed with us, and, and then suddenly he wanted to learn about the finance and he wanted to learn about the marketing he wanted to learn everything he could and he rose up through the organization from dishwasher he he literally line cooked just about every position in the restaurant and then he became the kitchen manager and then suddenly he acquired the purchasing skills the cost control skills and and he continued to expedite on the line like he was everywhere it was amazing so this kid worked for me for 18 years starting at the age of 15, stayed with us 18 years. And what do you think he did when he left? He bought his own restaurant. You know, it's, it's just, it's amazing. And I don't need to tell you this because you see this every day, but these are the types of relationships that that we want to build with our staff, with our with our employees, with our customers. You know, I used to call it creating a culture of hospitality, family, and fun where it's all about hospitality and I want to hear your definition of hospitality. I'll give you mine after, after you go first. Okay. So it's all about hospitality and everybody's having more fun. The customers are having more fun, but everyone feels like family. The staff feel like family, the customers feel like family. And I call that magic when you achieve that. That's like capturing lightning in a bottle and there is nothing more powerful than having that type of staff building those type of interactions and relationships with your customers that then, You know, allow you to build your business, grow your business, expand your business, and it doesn't cost you a fortune because, like I said earlier, suddenly your staff are on their phones and they're taking pictures, selfies with all their customers having a good time. They're posting that on social media. Your customers are doing the same thing. All the plates coming out of the kitchen have what I call wow factor. You know, so you're taking pictures and it's all over social media, and that is free, powerful marketing right there. So, let me ask you, what's your definition? What does hospitality mean to you, Jill?
1: For me, hospitality means that you are putting your customers' interests first, that you are there to pamper them, to take care of them. And ultimately, that's what people come to restaurants, go out to eat, they travel, they stay at hotels. Anytime that, that they do something that's in our industry, it's because they want to be taken care of. And so for me, it really is about... So I what I call a celebrity customer experience.
0: I want to hear all about that.
1: Right? So think about it. We all know what a celebrity gets Mm -hmm. when they walk into any sort of restaurant or hotel or anywhere, right? No matter where they go, they are pampered. They are taken care of. Well, let's face it. Last time I knew (laughs) their dollar in the bank was worth the same as my dollar in the bank or your dollar in the bank or anyone. Mm -hmm. So why not treat Every customer that you have consistently, and that's the key, being consistent, consistency equals cash. Correct. Right? Recognize them, treat them like a celebrity, give them a celebrity customer experience each and every time, and they will be your word of mouth, what I call, similar to you, a free marketing sales force. And um, for me, that's what hospitality is. It's giving that celebrity customer experience, taking care of them, pampering them, and let them know, you sit back, I got you.
0: Well, I know you you listened to my presentation on um, the webinar we were talking about earlier. And I, and I related a story about when I was just starting my very first restaurant, you know, how I walked into a similar place, almost identical to the concept I was starting. It was a wood-fired pizzeria. And I had a series of really poor experiences by untrained staff that acted as though they weren't paid enough to care, you know? And I was like, wow, one negative impression after another, I mean, this is enough to sabotage someone's business. And that literally was sort of my launching pad to, I'm gonna make sure that customer service is my competitive advantage. And we wanted to treat people In our restaurants we wanted to treat the staff and the customers as if they were the most important people in the place even if you know the restaurant was full and we then grew this well I had several restaurants but my largest had 350 seats and whether that place was full or there were ten customers in it I wanted everyone to feel as if they were the only customer in the place you know and that was the training philosophy and it sounds so simple right in theory And it's all about execution and practice and training and development and nurturing and recognizing and rewarding and all the things that we do to make sure that, you know, our staff are presenting these interactions and building the the relationships that that you speak of. So, you know, yeah, go ahead.
1: I'm curious, you know, for me, I find that a lot of times when I speak to restaurant owners, I think they think that they're doing it. And because it does seem like to me, common sense and what you're saying, right. It's so easy to do, but then why are they not doing it? Why are there so many negative reviews and ratings? And, and I, you know, I think it comes down to one perception. So, you know, Bain and company has this crazy stat that 80% of business owners and executives think they're delivering a superior customer experience while only 8% of their customers agree with them. So it's pretty crazy, wow. but because it is so easy to do. And so I'm just curious to ask you, you know, yeah. as a restaurant owner too, like it, it it's so basic and it takes that training to do it. But you know, why are we not seeing more of it when it does seem like common sense, but um mm-hmm. you know,
0: I would say that it, the number one reason, and this is my opinion only, is so many, so few restaurants out there are truly dialed and what I call systematized, whereby they have a system for everything and that their staff are so well-trained and so well-versed in every aspect of the, not just the basics of the job that they were hired to do, but they go above and beyond that, that they literally have the owner or the manager's back and that the manager or owner can then focus on developing the customer experience, developing the training. I call this the business of a thousand details, Jill. And even if we get 990 of those details correct, it's the 10 we miss that the customer always sees. And that's simply to say that we are not perfect. The element of human error will always be there, but, if we're not proactive, if we're just reactive on a daily basis, because let's face it, the restaurant business is full of the unexpected, right? The unexpected, I say, is always around the next corner. But if you don't have systems in place, and if your restaurant isn't dialed, you're simply putting out the daily fires and just trying to get the food out. And you're just trying to, and one minute you're over here, and the next minute you're over there, and your customers see this, that it's like, sometimes you can call it controlled chaos in a restaurant, but you never want to see, you know, you never want your customers to see a sweat. And um, unfortunately, too many times in, in too many restaurants, because I travel the country, at least I did pre-COVID quite a bit, and I see this happening all the time. I see the staff running around crazy, I see the managers running around crazy, sometimes the owners, and that's when the dishes stack up and the tables aren't getting busted, and there's a line out the door and there's an hour wait and it's like, and there are reasons for this, you know, maybe we're short staffed that day, but if you had trained your staff and if you had a backup plan and if you cross-train them so that a bartender could suddenly jump in and be a host and a fry cook could suddenly become a dishwasher and back and forth, which we did, it, it literally eliminated the chaos in the restaurant. It was just one sim- simple system that allowed me to focus on building a business, working on a business, as opposed to working in the business. And that's the difference, I think.
1: hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. And- Um, you know, I, you talk about details. So Mm -hmm. actually, um, one, one piece of the, of my course that I've created, especially now to deal with what's going on, to get us through our current situation in the pandemic and bridge us post pandemic. Um, actually the one that people find most, a lot of restaurants are saying they find most valuable is the part that's called details, your customers, um, details of your customers, you know, and in the cash will flow. Like and that. that's because, you know, it is about all those details and, you know, I can't help it, but growing up in McDonald's, I um, the secret sauce is a very important thing for me. and And I think the secret sauce is in the details. It's knowing those things. And again, you know, one thing that my dad was famous for is knowing everyone's name, asking about them by name, and even asking about their family by their family's name. He would look you in the eye directly when he spoke with you. He made you feel like you were the only person in that room. And so he showed that interest. And, you know, it's all these little details that go along the way that you pointed out that are so systematized and dialed in, but people don't feel like it's a system. They feel the human element. And I think that's what's really key is it runs like clockwork because the training is behind it in order to deliver something kind of it's kind of transparent right like it's in the background they don't really see it but they feel it right and that's the most important thing is how do they feel when they walk away they might not be able to identify what it was that made them feel that way exactly and that's okay that actually i think means that you did it right
0: well i know what we're saying is really resonating with the audience right now and it seems like common sense and yes there are ways that we can improve constantly in our businesses but really, you know, if we go back to that idea of the staff being the foundation, if you can create this kind of chemistry, fit, magic, uh, affinity with the customers, affinity with the staff, the whole culture, hospitality, family, and fun thing, then suddenly your turnover goes way down. And this is an industry known for high turnover. Pre-COVID, you know, the unemployment rate was the lowest it had ever been in history, and it, Restaurants everywhere were having a challenge finding and keeping a good staff, you know. And the statistics were just staggering in terms of the average tenure of a, rest- of a new restaurant employee was just four months, and the costs involved in finding that person, getting them up to speed in the job, training them, and then losing them, whether they quit or you fire them because they didn't work out. It costs a restaurant a couple thousand dollars, and no restaurant can afford that to find somebody to replace that person and so on and so forth. So if you could suddenly embrace, you know, some of the things we're talking about here, lead by example and spend the critical necessary time in training and in cross training, your turnover is going to go way down, you know, and you're going to have longevity and you're going to create what I call your dream team staff. And that is the ultimate goal of any restaurant because the, the experiences you can deliver when you've got a dream team versus a bunch of, you know, mixed-up players. I call them C players, the people that just show up for the paychecks, you know, and you're looking for them half the time. They're unreliable. It's like they're not doing your business any favors. They're, they're creating morale issues amongst the staff you do have, and some of those people are good, of course. And then they're, they're giving negative impressions to your customers. And I know it sounds harsh. I've sort of been an advocate of for years of saying, you know, calling it weeding the garden. You know, you're always looking for the best people you can put in the position. You give everybody an equal chance. You you make your expectations crystal clear. You have, you know, formal job descriptions and you revisit those job descriptions when someone signs off on it and you say, hey, you know, your your behavior is a little different than it's been the first several weeks here. And then I always used to give people, I'd throw the ball in their court, Jill, and say, how do you think we can get back on track? How would you solve this issue? And then you let them do it. And, you know, they either they either rise to the challenge or they let you down. And then you weed the garden and you find somebody better and you recruit, get on hire. I mean, these are just simple philosophies. But if you don't have the systems, you don't have the time to do all this because it requires time and a plan.
1: Yes, a- absolutely. And I think accountability is really important. And- mm. And the truth is people want to be held accountable. If you show someone that you believe in them and, you know, even children, right. That that you believe in them sometimes more than they believe in themselves Mm -hmm. and maybe give them a responsibility, give them a chance to prove to you that they can do it. And if they're not ready and it doesn't work out, then you talk about what happened and you readjust right. and you're like, okay, maybe later. But you've probably made that person more committed to you and will work harder for you because you've shown that you trust them and that you believe right. in them. And right it's it's so um, that for me kind of the, the bottom line, the core of of all these principles that that I teach and train in has to do with emotional intelligence. And so I've kind of boiled it down to three E's, which is educate, which I mentioned before, it's not just training, it's educate. Right. Right. And then engage. You have to show your people engage with them. Show them what you want, so they can then understand how to engage in your customers. And then you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, you have to entrust them. And so, when you show that trust, you you've built upon the previous things, and people will shine for you. Give them an opportunity to do that, and it will make your business run smoothly like clockwork. That dream team that you mentioned, but beyond the experience of the customer that they're going to gain from that. The coolest part, as I see, and I think you, you've you done this, Roger, if I remember uh, from what you said before, that you can then step away. It frees the owner That's right. to then be able to have a life, like not to be mm-hmm. chained 24-7, putting out right. fires, which is what this industry is right. so – right? So typically known for. Um, so you are allowed to then step out and, and not have to be in your business all the time, but actually be able to enjoy your life and travel and do other things and not have to worry because you've given your trust in your people and they're going to be there and take care of things when you're not there. That is that's that is the dream for me, I think. As, as you yeah.
0: And, well, I call that an exit strategy, but I also... Um, love this word empowerment you're talking about empowering your staff giving them responsibility trusting in them to use good judgment their best judgment to have the owner or the managers back and reward them for that and that just lifts the tide on, on the place entirely and and your customers can tell when this is the way a restaurant is run you know and they're more likely to frequent a place like that that really just has something special you know it's got magic dust all over it because. It all starts, again, foundationally with the staff, how you develop that staff, empower that staff. And then that frees an owner or manager's time to do other things, to maybe expand the business, open other locations, franchise it maybe, spend more time with family and friends because none of us have enough time to do that or whatever. But, you know, exit strategy means different things to different people. But I'm really glad you pointed that out. Let's shift gears, Jill, because you have such a fascinating history in this business. You've had an amazing series of life experiences, and I guess I want to start with Le Cordon Bleu because, again, arguably one of the most famous and highly acclaimed cooking schools in the world. So you had an amazing experience there, and then you went on to work um, in the pastry area at Harrods, famous department store in London. So tell us about all these experiences, what they meant to you, um, how they developed your career, and, you know, how it led to where you are now.
1: Um, wow. Well, thank you, because honestly, that's the part that that lights me up the most. Um, I, I love the whole international world and the experiences of, of different areas of the business, and growing, obviously, growing up and loving food in that whole world, mm-hmm. um, I was very lucky. I, I always thought I'd go to culinary school years later, but yeah. um, I, my experience at Le Cordon Bleu was phenomenal. Um, it was in Paris and I did the, what they call the grand Diplôme. It's the cuisine and patisserie, the pastry together. And, um, I did one of my courses in London and didn't, wasn't a great thing. So in my time, I was very fortunate before going back to Paris, my pastry chef knew the pastry chef at, um, Harrods in London. And, I had been there once as a teenager, and was just like drooling over
0: those. I can only imagine the
1: food halls. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah. It was I can picture amazing.
0: it. I'm right? sure our audience can picture it right now, right?
1: My mouth's watering. <laughs> you don't know where to look <laughs> first, what
0: to taste first, what to uh, buy, because your eyes are just like, wow. <laughs> it,
1: it is just, it's heaven. It's a food yeah. heaven. And so yep. for me yep. to have this opportunity to actually work in there and see back of house, how it's run and, and learn the recipes and see how the process. And and actually every day um, we made our, what they call Viennoiserie, which is the the pastries, the Danish, the croissant, the brioche. Yes. Um we made those every day for the Queen. We we would send; they would send um, to Buckingham Palace an assortment of those things every day. So it was kind of awesome. cool to be like, I actually cooked for the Queen.
0: That's but right. It was a That's right. Great
1: experience. Yeah, it was amazing.
0: You know, my mother used to have. Um, an expression when, when she was living and whenever I'd see her and whenever she prepared a meal or whenever we went to a nice restaurant or wherever she was particularly fond or happy with something that she either did herself or she ordered. She used to use this expression to the queen's taste. i'll never forget that and that's essentially what you're talking about here because the quality had to be so high the experience the packaging everything that went into it had to be to the queen's taste and think about how the rest of the world would would um you know would would relate to those types of um you know those types of foods and just the whole experience that's amazing so you spent a couple of years in paris did you and what was it like living in go ahead go ahead Uh, Well, I want to, I want to talk about Le Cordon Bleu because, you know, we all have these stereotypes of, you know, the heavy handed chef, you know, that's barking orders in the kitchen and, you know, whatever movie or TV shows that came from, I don't know. It's sometimes justified, sometimes not, but I can only imagine how structured and how rigid and how, you know how incredible these people's talents and skill sets were. And I'm sure you ran into a whole cross section of instructors there, but were any of them really challenging to work for and intimidating or were they all just excellent teachers and excellent culinarians?
1: I did not find that typical, what you <laughs> see in the kitchen in school.
0: That's um, good
1: they were, yeah, no, it was a, it was a phenomenal experience. Um, what was interesting was so, um, I also had an amazing experience of working in a one-star Michelin and Piemonte and and in Italy.
0: Right, let's talk about that too. Um,
1: and it was in- incredible, um, very different experience. But it was a f- you know typical family Italian family and uh, you know generations and to get in there and work with them and it was a really small intimate group mm-hmm. and to see that level of service spectacular. Everything yes. was stunning. I mean. <laughs> my mouth's watering again. I just think about like some of the things that, that the the mother's recipes and, and the presentation. So the French have an expression that you first eat it with your eyes, you know, that it has to be as beautiful and as delicious to your eyes as it is to your mouth when you take a bite. And coming from a design background, that, that very much um, resonated with me. And I believe uh, very much in that. So that was really an, an amazing experience and similar, actually, to what happened in, um, at Harrods because the presentation was super, super important. Um, but the only time that I've experienced that, so when I came back to the States, I was in New York City, spent most of my adult life in New York, and um, I was debating whether to open my own uh, pastry shop. And so, uh, but truly, I, I did this initially for my own interest, but thinking that I would use it only towards food styling. And I did become a food stylist. But in that interim, I did a very short stage for uh, Francois Payard, who has very famous uh, pastry chef, and he had a, a regular kitchen cuisine as well. But I went there for a short time. And that was the experience that you're talking about, you know, typical, you know, French chef raising his voice yelling. And I was like, "Mm, I'm, I'm out of here. Not for me. Not for me.
0: I only bring that up, Jill, because I had two such experiences. You know, when I was bartending, I worked for a restaurant in Massachusetts and everyone had the utmost respect because the chef demanded that respect, but he definitely was an intimidating character and he yelled and threw pots and pans and all that kind of stuff. And yes, the food was amazing, but at what cost, I guess I would have to ask. And, you know, he, he, um, He lasted longer than I did for similar reasons. I mean, I didn't have to interact with him too often being a bartender, but every once in a while I'd cross the kitchen carrying a bucket of ice, and I'd get yelled at for dropping one or two or, you know, whatever it was. You know, things like that happen all the time. So, you know, it's funny. I mean, this business is made up of all types of people and and that sort of thing. So New York City came after um, Piemonte. Is that it? You went back to New York and
1: it was kind of both. So I was in New York already, um, for my, my first life, you know, as, as a designer. Um, and, um, when I finished with my, um, studies at Le Cordon Bleu, I came back and I did develop, um, my business as a food stylist. Mm -hmm. And then I did go back again. So it was kind of a little of uh, a back and forth.
0: That's great. Now you've also been on the Today show and you've made the cover of Food and Wine. So how did these experiences come about? I'm dying to know.
1: So that was a part of my food styling world. Um, okay. so mm-hmm. um, I personally wasn't on the Today show but I did all of the food styling for the for the Today show. So Today show Good Morning America, you know, some friends they have in the morning where the the chef comes in and the food is instantly beautifully all, you know, mise en place and mm prepared and they have multiple times they move from what it looks like when you start to when, you, you know, later on. So that's, I did all of that. Um, and I did all print design, um, uh, magazines, cookbooks, um, Godiva, food packaging, food advertising, uh, food and wine magazine. Um, I did have the cover and inside story and they, they took, the inside story and like that. And, and so my shot was on the cover. So that was that's pretty awesome. exciting.
0: Um, yeah, still right. A lot of
1: magazines, Bon Appetit and all the Yeah,
0: Certainly highlights of a life well lived in the hospitality industry.
1: I have to say, I look back and I feel blessed. I truly do. I, I've yep. always felt like it was important to go after your dreams and to live with the purpose. And that's what I've been really fortunate to do. And and I did, it wasn't all easy sailing. I would no. bump up against things that were bad and i just was like okay how do i either shift what's going on how do i look at it differently or how do i make a change and i think being a creative person which i think everyone in hospitality is of that ilk you know we come from that creative type that nurturing type it's normal that when you achieve a certain level of success or you've accomplished a certain amount you. You, you can't stay stagnant. You want to grow. And so kind of that's what I did. And in each phase of my life and each experience really is brought together and is an amalgamation of what I'm doing now as a customer experience strategist because I can um, – and through these different um, industries and working in multiple countries, I'm able to bring a, a new, fresh perspective, kind of what I see as cross-pollinating mm-hmm. strategies and ideas – because I think so often industries look at the single lane of what was always done. What did we do before? And they just focused on that. But now more than ever, especially with this crisis and to grow, we have to look for other ideas, things that maybe we didn't do, but might work for us now. However, is going to increase our, our business, our revenue, our, our customers. And so I, I love that piece that I'm able to now bring all of my life together and help restaurants look at their business. Let's sit down, right, and let's see what you do and how what's your unique problem right now and how can I look at it and, and I'm I'm a type that loves to brainstorm and right it's collaboration. Mm-hmm. And I think we all achieve to higher ideas and levels of success together than we do alone. And so you know cross pollinating those different ideas and the, the different cultures and how we approach things is really important to be open, I think, to to achieve that and that's to me what's been the most fun in my life and what I'm doing now
0: sounds like you've never worked a day in your life (laughs) you know that old that old expression you know if you've got a passion for what you do you'll never work a day again
1: yeah (laughs) that's true that's That's right you've had a lot of those
0: those experiences that's great what's the future for Jill Ruff
1: Uh, The future is really helping businesses grow, helping restaurants be their full self, helping them create those relationships, helping them get the systems in place so that they can have those smooth experiences for their customers, like you talked about, what you did so beautifully in your restaurants, right? So that I can help them... because. Often, you know, because we're putting out fires, we're so caught into what's happening. We don't see. And we need that outside kind of 50,000 foot view. We need that outside eyes and ears, that perspective to really see what's going on. Not our perspective of what we think, right? Like the Bain statistic, the 88% to 80%. uh,
0: That was alarming (laughs) a little bit. That is alarming. But that was a wake up call, perhaps, you know? I mean, these are the things that we need to talk about that because- and I don't mean to interrupt you. I hope you maintain your train of thought, but it's like, you know, wake up call meaning. a lot of times in this business, we are so close to our operation and the way we run it that in a lot of cases we think, oh, I got this and there's nothing wrong with this. And this is working just fine when a fresh outside perspective would think differently. And I think you've, you've brought that home mm. pretty clearly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and even with the work that I do when I'm developing and building something, I love to have people look in and tell me because I'm so deeply into it that sometimes I totally miss what's going on. And so for me, that's why uh, in particular that with what's going on now, especially why I developed this course that helps businesses deal with what's happening today and um, even beyond the CDC, what they're talking about and what we need to do. There's so many other details. Right. Right. So it helps them address what's happening now, but also with a bridge to phases of when we're when it's not the front of mind when there are other things going on. Because mm. great customer service, great customer experience will never go out of style. It's it's always important, and it's always what's going to drive your customers back to you. So, in anything that I do, whether a digital course, um, which I have it's always a hybrid model because for me, it's that interaction. It's that connection with other restaurant owners and management that, that I love the most that I feel I can contribute and have the greatest impact.
0: You know, I I started talking earlier about your, your definition of hospitality and you so eloquently brought that to life for us. And I also said that I would tell you what I feel about that. And it's very simple. I learned a long time ago that hospitality is absent when something happens to the customer, hospitality is present when something happens for the customer. Mm. And the difference is so crystal clear. And that was the simple guiding light philosophy that I wanted every single person in my restaurant to understand and practice on a daily basis, you know, and, and that was, that was just magic right there and and what you're talking about so many we we've expanded on this whole idea of hospitality quite a bit but you know that's really where where it begins so you mentioned something to me that, that was significant to you and i think it was surrounding a survey that you wanted to share with us mm. yes. Do you want to talk about that now
1: sure and i also i just want to commend you that that is so succinct that is a beautiful definition of hospitality. Like you just, it lands right away. That is a really great um, definition. I'm not
0: sure who coined that. I certainly didn't make it up, but it's something that I literally practice on a daily basis and, and use those words in all of my training because it was just, like you said, it's succinct, but it's eloquent and it just cuts yeah. to the core of what we're trying to achieve. 100%.
1: Yeah, Thank definitely.
0: Thank
1: you. Um, yeah, so with with the survey, so with... Um, a lot of summits and, and events that mm-hmm. that we've been on, similar to yours and, and others. I'm sure that you've listened to in webcasts. I've been um, listening to a lot of the Cornell quite a few,
0: yeah,
1: right Hotel School, and um, it's been a lot of the perspective of um, the restaurant owners, right? Like what's happening for them. But again, it's really important for me and for the restaurant to think about it also from the customer perspective. And so I I did a survey to find out what is it, and and in hopes to bring more business to restaurants was really my driving goal and purpose of doing that. And so what is it that's going to make the customers regain trust in you? What's going to give them the confidence they need to come back to do even more delivery and curbside and takeout to start to go back into the the restaurants directly? What is it that's going to build that confidence for them, which is going to make them bring more business, and then be able to do the things that we're talking about, right? right, right the right. whole process with everything that we're going on. And so um, it was really interesting to find that um, in some... And so I, I'm happy to share this. I will give you the link um, that you can post for yes, it. Yes, free- I'll put right?
0: it in the show notes for sure.
1: Cool, because I have the, the survey resource to to share with you, but I'll just kind of give you the summary. And Please. basically... Um, the top three points that was most important uh, for customers to feel that confidence to continue to do business with you is, of course, first and foremost is protective gear, right? All of the, the masks, the gloves, and wherever it's needed, uh, the sanitation, the hygiene. Second was along the similar uh, similar. Uh, both in terms of response of what was important, but in along the same line was cleanliness, was washing their hands, their forearms, 20 seconds, seeing people do that. And this mm-hmm. is what's really important is the communication of how you do it, which I, we, that's a whole other call, you know, um, and, and seeing it happen. But the third thing that was the most important that really struck me, because the first two were to be expected, is that they want to see that businesses and restaurants are actually investing in proper training for their employees, and that's what right. they wrote in the survey, okay. mm-hmm. and um, and it was really important because I think, you know, again, it's the education and the training. So you can do all those things. And the CDC says to do, you know, a minimum of this and um, routinely. But what does routinely mean? Every week, every two weeks? You know, to me, that it's very vague. And so I think the businesses need to go in. That's why I, I have another module I call Beyond the CDC because I think it's important to show your customers, communicate that even beyond the minimum standards that are required, we are going above and beyond for that. And um, so it just really struck me that it's even important, the customers are, are very consciously aware that that training for the restaurants is very, very important, second to the actual cleanliness.
0: Well, it's absolutely essential because I know here in the state of Maine, we've actually had two restaurants that have sort of reopened with a different model, of course, because our seating is limited. Restaurants in in counties um, north of ours, where there's less of a population density, have allowed to you know, be open in their dining rooms with distancing and, you know, tables so many feet apart and all that. But literally, uh, in, in both of these restaurants, one employee or staff person has come down with COVID. And literally, the restaurants have been forced to shut their doors. So, you know, it's it's a matter of safe practices that could prevent this, And it's that important that you really have to be super diligent about it, or, you know, you you might open and have to close and look at the loss of momentum and look at the the challenges that that you might expose many, many people to. So we're dealing with uh, something we've never had to deal with before, and we're learning more about it every day. It seems to keep changing every day, but what you're saying is absolutely essential, Joe, absolutely essential.
1: Yeah, and and we're gonna lose so many restaurants that we know and know. love if it's we true. don't pivot. We we have to change, we have to address, yeah. we have to do it now. There's we it's just it's it's heart wrenching. But this I'm is. I'm very optimistic and I, I know that will happen. And um so I'm I'm happy to share that survey.
0: It's
1: Please. just also um com. So it's my website, and jillraff.com forward slash survey hyphen resource. So I, I will Send that to you. Yeah, and send me the uh,
0: an email link, and I'll include it in the show notes. And I'm glad you shared the uh, the URL because, of course, your website is Jill com. And we we talked about so many different things that um, are so well, they're so basic and so foundational, but mean so much to. Building an organization and, and building a customer base and, you know, having a competitive advantage over – because this is one of the most competitive businesses I, I know or, or anyone I've ever been in. And, you know, you can't have more of a competitive advantage than building a staff that literally – are an extension of yourself, an extension of your brand, and, you know, take it to the next level. Is there anything you want to share in closing? We've covered a lot of ground today, Jill. It's been fascinating having you, but if we've missed anything, please feel free to share now.
1: Thank you. No, um, I I appreciate it. It's been great. I know I could talk about this forever. There's so many details. There's so many exciting things. So I have really enjoyed sharing it with you because, um, you know, you're right there in the midst of it and, and you you feel, and you you've exemplified all of those values. Um, mm-hmm. that's really important and, and done that successfully. So my goal is to help other businesses do that as successfully as you have done. Um, and Thank you. yeah, happy. Well, it's,
0: it's a real challenge, Jill, you probably don't know this, but after selling all of my restaurants five years ago and, uh, getting back into the business as an operator, I feel like in many ways I'm starting all over again from ground zero. And you know, about eight, nine months ago we purchased a, a restaurant and, and a property that had tremendous potential, but it was a neglected property. It needed a lot of work. There were a lot of things that were broken, a lot of things that needed to be fixed. And we started to invest fairly heavily in that business. And then all of a sudden came to a screeching halt with COVID, just like every other restaurant out there. And we had to close for two months, just reopened the last couple of weeks. And now we're completely shifting our model, turning the place upside down even more. And thankfully there have been government relief programs that we've been able to benefit from that will hopefully mean the survival of this business. But it's all about creating those systems and building that dream team staff and building relationships with every single customer, every single day, touching them in a meaningful way and giving them reasons to return and, and staying relevant with that customer. Whether sales are down, you know you know the statistics, sales in restaurants are down huge across the board unless uh, you, you always had that takeout and delivery pivot model. You know, there are certain restaurants that are thriving now because of less competition and states are waiting to reopen their dining rooms. But, you know, it's a huge challenge. But I'm right in there with half the audience out there listening, if not more so. So I appreciate once again having you on the show. It was entirely my pleasure. And it's always wonderful to talk to someone who, who understands what hospitality and passion for the business is all about. And that's certainly you.
1: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Roger. and um, you know happy just to even have a conversation. If anyone wants to, to talk um, or call, feel free to reach out to me directly even and, and I'll give you that email directly, but it's Jill at atgilllraft.com happy to have more conversations and if I can help in any way, especially now with what's going on, I, I really just want to help. I want to help people get through this business uh, through this time right now so that their businesses can thrive. because as you just mentioned so beautifully, this is a time to reset. You feel like you're just starting all over again. So let's right, take advantage right. of this yes. time to reset and do it the right way. You know, before it's so much harder afterwards. It feels overwhelming. And when things are overwhelming, we we paralyze, right? We get paralyzed. And so now we have a chance as things are slowly changing in phases and opening up. Let's do right. it right right from the start, like get reset, open that business to run in the way that you wanted, that you envisioned. I'm sure when you started that dream of your business, it was not chaos and, and hecticness and no systems and That's you know, right. responding like that. So this is a beautiful time to reset and, and set up the business, the restaurant, the way
0: you've always dreamed that you wanted it to be. That's wonderful advice. Well, thank you so much for listening, audience. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. We appreciate you tuning in, and we will see you in the next episode. Take care and stay well. Wow, guys, I told you that was a biggie. You know, you wouldn't be in this business if you weren't passionate and deeply committed to running your restaurant, and not just running a restaurant, but building a brand and building what I call your dream team staff and empowering them to make friends with your customers and deliver these exemplary customer experiences. That's really what it's all about, isn't it? I hope you were as inspired by Jill Raff as I was. She and I are colleagues and friends now. We'll be networking and, and staying in touch with each other in the future, and I learned quite a bit from this episode, as I'm sure you will. If you're looking for a turnkey system, why don't you check out Sales Stars at restaurantrockstars.com. It's a training system I created over 20 years ago to do just that, to build what I call your dream team staff, to teach them to recognize opportunities, to deliver paramount customer service experiences, to make friends with their customers, to build what I call affinity, that powerful sense of longing and belonging for a place, your restaurant, as well as teaching them how to sell. So it's all about... Using your staff as the foundation of your business and empowering them to deliver amazing guest service experiences. So, check it out at restaurantrockstars.com. I also want you to know that we've just launched a new Facebook group that you can join. It's called Restaurant Rockstars Official, and it's a new forum where you can share just information and ask questions and just help each other out during these challenging times of the COVID crisis. And I'll also be posting the podcast there once a week as well. So feel free to check out Restaurant Rockstars Official. We appreciate you listening, and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to to the the Restaurant Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.